You're listening to The One Room with a View Show with Christopher Preston and Dan Orton. Hello and welcome to The One Room with a View Show with myself, Christopher Preston, and joining me is the amazing astronaut of analysis. Does that work? Mr. Dan Orton. We'll make it work. We'll make it work. We'll make the whole season work. I can't believe you've had... (laughs) You've had the whole of summer. The whole of summer. You've had several months to come up with a new introduction for me, and the best you could do was the astronaut. I was was trying to link it with what we were going to do today. Okay, I like. I think it it will make sense. Points for effort. It will. It will make sense. Okay, Dan, it's a brand new season. It is a brand new season. Yeah, brand new day. Brand new day. We've been off for ages. We have been off for a while. We, which I can only assume the listeners have been thankful for. Yeah, and and a lot of podcasts I think have 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 filled that quite small vacuum. I mean, no. The, the absence has gone unnoticed. It has gone unnoticed. And so has the uh, coming back. So uh, it all uh, it's, a, it's a rich tapestry. I didn't know we were coming back until you turned up on my doorstep. Uh, well, I turned on opposite's uh, doorstep first, just ringing. And... Yes, I should say we're also coming from a brand new location. Everything's brand new, Dan. Everything's brand Except new. Us. Except us. We are us. older and crapper. And I think that could be reflective in the features. Uh, so you can tell us what's coming up in right. today's episode. Coming up in today's show, Chris, we are doing, obviously, some film old, some film new. Some things never change. This week... Thank God. (laughs) This week, we are looking at uh, Christopher Nolan's newest offering, Mm. Interstellar, uh, which we saw uh, a couple of weeks ago now. We did. And and very excited to discuss it. Cannot wait. We've gone literally a whole week and a half without talking to each other about it. It, Yeah, I mean, we've had to lock down social uh, communication (laughs) because we've been so worried about whether or not we would begin discussing. We wanted to keep all of this ripe, rancid fruit for the podcast, (laughs) which will be squeezing all over your ears in the next few minutes. What are we comparing it with, Dan? We are comparing it with uh, something old is Christopher Nolan's first feature film following. Yes. Which, in comparison to Interstellar, is a pretty uh, speedy one hour, nine minutes long. That's right, indeed. And he's never, I mean, he obviously thought that was a mistake. (laughs) And has never made a film shorter than two hours since. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, yeah, so that's very exciting. That's his first ever feature film. Um, uh, And I'm very interested to talk to you about that. Yeah, that's coming up first. Also, we're bringing back the shelf. Yeah, we're wiping it down with a nice desktop. We're dusting off the ones that are already existing, which, mm. to remind listeners, the shelf already hosts uh, Godfather Part 2, two uh, and Jurassic Park, which are mine and Chris's favourite films, yes. respectively. And we've now got something slightly different, I think, you know, compared to those mm. two to, yes. to place up against yes. it. Chris is putting a new one on the shelf. I'm excited to hear what it is. Absolutely. Um, and we've got a whole shed load of film news to mm, by the lorry load to discuss. As I say, we've been away for so long, we've got an awful lot to talk about, and a whole load of things have happened in the past week, which yeah. are definitely worthy of our discussion. Um, I'm and, looking forward to seeing yeah. what you've got to say about a lot of those as well, Dan. So, uh, without further ado, shall we uh, blast off to infinity and beyond? Let's. With... <laughs> I should probably leave the puns to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some film old. Some film new. I have missed that. I have as well, as the, the chords in my neck. Your vocal cords haven't. <laughs> no. Mm, I'm sure we'll be able to get through the next few minutes. Okay. So, Interstellar, Dan. Interstellar, directed by Mr. Mr. Christopher, Christopher Nolan. Nolan. First film in two years since The Dark Knight Rises. Yes, first film about Wally Pfister. Yes. Uh, and, I mean, this is the first... I mean, I know that he's had these kind of vanity... Well, I say vanity projects, like Prestige and Inception and now Interstellar, but this is the very first one he's done since leaving Batman, leaving Gotham behind yes uh so it's got a huge kind of hype behind it what's he going to do after the batman mythology absolutely and i mean well 
I'm very impressed with what he's decided to do after the post Batman, post yeah. Dark Knight. Um, Should we so do plot for this? I, it's I kind of difficult. We're going to have to first off, listeners, just to say we may well be treading in spoilery waters. I, I think we but have by to, the yeah. end of this discussion. Yeah. So I I would say don't enter this discussion without having seen the film. I think we should throw that up, Dan. Yeah. There is so much I need to discuss with you that is going <laughs> to it will ruin it for people who don't know. I'll tell you what. For the sake of for the sake of being fair, mm-hmm. let's do a quick spoiler free. That's fair. I like that for, for other people, and then we'll give you a quick alert when they're going to start talking, revealing secrets. Yeah. So very quickly, Interstellar, um, a quick plot, spoiler free plot. Okay, so it's about uh, the world as we know it. It's kind of set semi-future isn't it in a yes, future an undisclosed date yeah but, but it's um, kind of touching us with its fingertips it, 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 I, I got the impression it was kind of about 40 50 years time realistically yes. yeah. the world is predictably going towards some form of natural apocalypse uh, things are running out and the last chance of saving humanity lies with a mismatched team from nasa who are blasting off into outer space going through wormholes um, to explore further terrain for the uh, preservation of mankind. Yes, essentially to find a new home for for the inhabitants of yeah. Earth. The tagline for the, for the poster, um, I think, really encapsulates its story that mankind was born on Earth, it was never meant to die here. That really is its story. Yeah, I think. that, I think that sums it up pretty well. I mean, the marketing guys did a good job. They did really well. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey did really well. <laughs> what are your immediate thoughts? My immediate thoughts? Okay, so I did the review for OneRoomWithTheView.com, and it's the hardest review I've ever had to write. I'll say that absolutely now. I was originally supposed to try and catch the tide of hype from the press screening uh, and put it in for midnight. Our editor graciously let me off that hook. <laughs> so I was kind of like, I just don't know what to write. I was so affected by it after coming out of the um, mm. screening. Both of us were almost numb. But I mean, that had something to do with almost three hours. <laughs> yeah, but when I say <laughs> numb, I meant both of our backsides <laughs> and eyeballs. Physically and metaphorically. Without going into spoiler, I was in two very extreme states throughout the whole of Interstellar. And they um, they kind of flitted between having my eyeballs blown out by excitement and having my ass bored off, frankly. So I the think t- that sums it up very well. Yeah, actually. and I so think. it's a it's a film of radically different brushstrokes. I think is the best way I would pick it up. Many have touted this as Christopher Nolan's masterpiece. Many more are saying it's not only the best film of the year; it's the best film of the decade. I have major doubts about that and it's certainly neither of those things as far as I'm concerned I agree wholeheartedly what you said there about the moments of eye-exploding excitement and yeah. you know just awe at what was on the screen coupled with I mean it could have been done done with a, a bit of a trim yeah easily of, it cut down a few things the other thing I find of known is that I think he writes too much you know there was this definite sense of uh having to explain an awful lot, mm. uh, which resulted in some rather laborious, you know, laborious sequences. sequences, very very dodgy uh, expositional dialogue, yeah. um, very clumsy. Uh, and, and, and this assumption that we, as an audience, were not following what was happening. There was a need to sort of constantly signpost everything over and over again, which if you cut that out, cut that out and just had more faith in, in the audience... Because I was following it fine. I don't know about you. Absolutely. And that is the key point, I think, to my bits that I didn't enjoy, is that I think that I would have respected this film more and enjoyed it more if Nolan had just gone for it. 
And there is this talk about him being this kind of, you know, visionary director who really wants to... Uh, to the, the Guardian piece called him the man who rebooted the blockbuster. Mm. But I think he's just added to it. And I think I would, would have respected it more as a film if it had just jumped yeah. into the story as opposed to constantly having to look back and going, look, this is what we're going to do now. This is what we're going to do now. I felt like those bits really degraded the, the film. It, it, it seemed clumsy. It seemed like a kind of science lesson we had to have to enjoy a firework display. Uh, yes, <laughs> which is a good analogy. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, but overall, uh, I very much enjoyed it. I think McConaughey was a good choice of lead, and he's very charismatic. But I mean, you've no anyone could tell you that from. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> uh, thanks, Matt, for popping Cheers, by. Matt. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Nolan is incredibly good at assembling these wonderful casts yeah. um, who always deliver. I think because they know that in a Nolan film, there is that sort of uh, prestige. But it's like um, <laughs> um, what uh, Michael Caine said, is that Christopher Nolan is the only uh, man in Hollywood who can kind of come to him and say, I promise this film will be a hit. And so it's kind of this idea of being able to associate yourself with original thinking cinema that you also know is going to pay off hugely. Yes. Yeah, and that's an interesting point that you make about original thinking. I think mm. in this sort of... I mean, we are drowning under endless sequels, yeah, reboots, reimaginings, uh, you know, remakes, and and it's nice to have Christopher Nolan there as the sort of I don't know this kind of um, lightning rod yeah. to to original thinking, as you say. Um, I mean, obviously, Interstellar has definite uh, marks of other sci-fi films. Yeah. How could you not? I mean, there are, there are definite um, nods to. Uh, Kubrick in there. Yeah, 2001 and, Space Odyssey, uh, you know, which is Nolan's favourite film of all time. Right. And yeah. so, I mean, that's obvious. So, I mean, you know, you've, got, you've got lots of stuff. There's a bit of Star Wars in there as well, as you might imagine from a guy who grew up in the 70s. Exactly. Um, but, I mean... Should we enter was... spoiler territory now? I feel like I... we should put that flag up, because there are <laughs> a couple of points now where I feel like we, we need to discuss them properly. Okay, is that well, fair? yeah, I think so. So we're now going to go into a spoilerific discussion about Interstellar. Join us again in about five, yeah. ten minutes for, for uh, the following. For following. Oh, sorry, not the following, just following. That's fine. Um, and then for the final Bob rating. So yeah. w- those of you who haven't seen Interstellar, we'll see you in a bit. Right, I think that's a fair Everyone response. else still with us? Yep, you're still Good. there. The lights are still on. Okay, so the thing that I found with Interstellar is that it is too long a film. Like, it easily is too long a film. Oh, absolutely. Being nearly three hours. When they go into space... It's gorgeous. Like, I, I've never seen anything quite like and it And I'm before. gutted that we didn't see it in IMAX. Yeah. Because apparently I... that sequence, the, that first sequence where they go into space, not only, I think, the spectacle of seeing it in IMAX, but, I mean, just the visualisation of space, the, the use of, well, the, the, the lack of music. I love that, yeah. That is a very powerful thing to... And Han, this is one of Hans Zimmer's best scores, in my opinion, for, for quite some time. And yeah. I really do think that it kind of caused this further emotional response from the film. But yeah, the wormhole sequence particularly had me right on the edge of my seat. Yes. Yeah. And, and, it, and it is this original thinking. And the thing I find with Nolan films, particularly since Batman, and he's got like all of these Batman fans on, uh, like on his side now, like to even question that this isn't a piece of immense art a masterpiece for the ages, people seem to jump on that a lot. Like, oh my God, you're not giving it five stars. This film is easily... And and I find that very difficult in putting a lens onto Nolan now, particularly I know that we kind of re-looked at uh, Inception in a previous yes, podcast. Yeah. This idea that Nolan now is this kind of god figure in cinema, that everything he touches is immense and amazing. There, and there is a certain... Uh, yes, I think there is a certain uh, group, a certain way of thinking that, that uh, Nolan is now almost indestructible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you cannot... 
or should not criticise yeah. him too harshly. Because mm. um, it's interesting that, that a lot of his cinema is, ver- is very fascist. Like, so he, um, there is a wonderful piece in The Guardian that's just uh, been written, a profile on him, and he did, really does come across as this creative fascist. Like, everything has to be his way. And most of his films have always come under budget so that the studios can never really have a huge influence because he's kind of like, well, I'm, giving, I'm putting money back in your pocket, you know, I'm not going overboard. Mm. Which I suppose you have to be to have these kind of real artistic ways and tendencies and make the film you want yes. to be yeah. but i think that it, it has it has um bred this this army like particularly online where it, you cannot question the leader that is Nolan now in his films <laughs> and his creative thinking flies in the face of um you know amazing spider-man 3 and transformers which it does as a blockbuster but i think there is so much to discuss about these films and not all of it is very positive and i think that is never been more encapsulated than in interstellar so far in his career yeah, I think I would agree with that on mm. the most part. Um, I don't know if I can call him a fascist. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean that in his like kind of views. I just mean in the way that he makes films. No, I mean, seems... I, I, admittedly, I have not read that Guardian piece. Please so do. I, I it's called um, Christopher Nolan, it. The Man Who Rebooted the Blockbuster. It will take yeah. you about 20 minutes, half an hour to read, but it's a wonderful, very insightful piece. Yeah. Yeah. Although, speaking of uh, the written word, shall we discuss the script, first yeah. of all? I've always found, and I touched on it earlier, I think Nolan has this... Uh, <laughs> And I, I, we've we've mentioned it with Inception in previous podcasts. I think he thinks his writing is a lot smarter than it actually is. I, I agree. Think he thinks he's more clever than I agree. Than he perhaps is. I think that Interstellar, like Transcendence before it, is a film is like a Stephen Fry film. So it's what people who aren't particularly clever would call something that is immensely clever when it actually isn't that much. Yeah. It uses big words. Uh, it uses scientific explanations, but most of them it, it comes across as clumsy exposition. Uh, Again, we're still in spoiler territory, so we can speak. There's one awful part where he actually looked at you in the cinema like, what is this? And it's a sequence where Matthew McConaughey's character goes to a parent-teacher meeting in the middle of the apocalypse, which is lovely. I'm glad that's still going on. No, you know, carry on. I mean, it's a very understated... Exactly, yeah, it's not... Quiet um, apocalypse. Yeah, exactly, yeah, just a few dust clouds. But uh, there's a bit with um, uh, the teacher turns around and he's talking about the degradation of education. And he's like, yeah, well, you're an educated man. You're uh, NASA's best pilot. And Matthew McConaughey turns around and goes, not to mention a great engineer or something. I mean, that's exactly what I mean about how this clumsy expositional dialogue yeah. and the, the telling rather than showing. Um, whereas in other parts of the film, Nolan shows very effectively what he's trying yeah. to do I mean, without to the need for the, it. One of the final kind of big fireworky sequence where they go into this kind of never sphere kind of thing where... Yes, um, another dimension, the fifth dimension. The fifth dimension, yeah, is the heart and soul of the entire film. I think at one point it wouldn't be embarrassing to say that you actually shed a tear or two at that. Well, I shed... I was... Uh, <laughs> yes, I got very emotional a bit earlier on in the film. Mm. Um, in, 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 again, an example of Nolan very effectively demonstrating something rather than whacking us around the head with it, which was the moment where uh, McConaughey's characters and Anne and Hathaway have been... So Cooper and Brand have been on, on one of these planets, one of these potential new Earths, um, for longer than they expected, and they've been told already that the longer they every seven minutes on there, uh, yeah, every a, one hour is seven, uh, seven, seven years. Yeah, so in Earth, every one yeah. hour is seven years on Earth. Um, so they get back and they find they get back to their uh, sort of space station and find they've been on that planet. They've been away for twenty three years. Yeah. So, you know, that means that Cooper's children he's missed a huge chunk. Yeah, of Yeah, nearly two and a half decades of his kids' lives. That's that's crazy to think about. And then, um. Nolan has Cooper sit down and watch back through 20 years it's a beautiful sequence. of video messages that from they're his sending children. out into space. They're sending out to him, but he can't, he, he's never been able to send back. Yeah. 
and now they're actually beyond the point where they can send anything back. That is a very that was a very powerful gorgeous, sequence. yeah. And that's what I'm saying is there's these. For me, it's to use the science lesson thing again. It's finding these little pockets of poetry in in a maths textbook, mm. and like having that the sequence towards the end where he's in the fifth dimension. And even though there is some really really clumsy stuff going and on, there's in a there, few almost wormhole sized plot holes. Exactly, to, yeah. To and with. I think they're re- they kind of really reverberate in that sequence. But you kind of can conf- forgive it there because of its immense poetry and its delicateness yes. and its just beauty. Like it is. There is a beauty to this film that is not only in its aesthetics, but in in its message as well, mm. and its fa- and the, the way it's family orientated. But uh, I, I just can't bring myself to call it a masterpiece when there was parts of it that had me cringing and parts of it where I was genuinely very, very bored. Yes. I, there was one journalist that we were sat amongst who, during one particular client, quite laboured speech from Han- Anne Hathaway about the power of love, just began to hoot with laughter. Yeah, which really I, mean, did... I think that's a shame. I had a discussion of this with a uh, uh, colleague of mine who mm. was uh, also a film journalist in yeah. her life. And and we both agree that that was a little bit uh, uncalled for. Yeah. It's unnecessary. It did make me smile, you know, though, I must admit. Interstellar with a laughter track. <laughs> from some obnoxious film <laughs> yeah, critic. Yeah, of course, yeah. From the other side of the room, just... Yeah. You know, all right. Well, you go and make a exactly. blockbuster. You go, you go reboot the blockbuster, you jackass! <laughs> My God, it was Peter Jackson <laughs> in the fourth row. That's um, but yes, I can understand your point. And, and you and I are, if if anything, I mean, we're known for our harsh criticism yeah, of things. Yeah. We are. We do not give five stars Certainly lightly. Not. No. Um, you know, and whereas it seems we are surrounded by a world of people handing out like confetti. <laughs> so I suppose. But one thing I want to stress with that in mind is that I don't I don't hate in Interstellar at all. I actually really, really admire it as a film, hugely so. Its ambition, I, I mean, apart from something like maybe Under the Skin, which a handful of people in comparison will have seen, there is nothing more ambitious coming out this year and in the last few years that, it, that has the scope of Interstellar. But just by being a, an ambitious force, I can't just turn around and throw accolade upon, upon mm. accolade upon it. But we can both agree that Nolan remains a very important filmmaker. A, a, very, absolutely. You know, One of the most important filmmakers working at the moment. Because to be able to go into a studio, get $160 million for a, for a film idea that is entirely unique, and someone who throws everything but the kitchen sink up onto the screen... And, and you do feel in Nolan's films that although he is a man who seems obsessed with creating these puzzles for us all to kind of unpiece, he he really does love cinema and he wants you to love it too. And yes. and, and I think he does make people love it through his films. Mm. Well, I mean, there's this wonderful th- theory that I read about recently, which is that actually a lot of Nolan's films that are outside of Batman, mm. um, well, I, well, to be more specific, this one and Inception, um, and I suppose to a lesser degree, the prestige yeah. are about filmmaking and about cinema. Inception, if you have a look at the different characters, they're all characters that could, in some way, involve uh, have a role in the process of making a film. Mm. You have uh, you have Tom Hardy's character, who is the actor. Uh, Cobb, who is is the uh, the, um, the director. The, so, uh, you have uh, Ariadne, the scriptwriter, who's person. That's really great. Understand. You know, you've got you've got a Ken Watanabe's character who is essentially the studio exec yeah. who's throwing the money at it, and so Inception is all really about the I process of making yeah. the film. And Interstellar, by its own uh, degree, is about this idea of original thinking in a world of all the you know these terrible uh, remakes and stuff. It's there's a line that the 
this theory touches on in the film, mm. where I think Cooper says about how we spend too much. We, we're not. We're no longer looking at the stars. We're mm. looking down the dirt. Oh yeah, of as, course. Yeah, and that is an analogy for the state of Hollywood at the moment. I do like that. The idea that there's no creativity, no, no uh, wild imagination, just going. You know, the, the, the sky's the limit. Thinking it's all. Let's just look down. Yeah. And go back through Putting what's more stuff in the dirt, growing it from that. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, very so, interesting. But we'll definitely do a Bob rating. I do feel like we should um, change out to have a look at following. I, w- I was yes. going to uh, say that we could blend them, but I think with Interstellar, it, it, yeah, it really is impossible for which we will now explain now. So hopefully you're back with us. Uh, we won't be spoilerific uh, with following, I don't think. We can just discuss following, I feel, yeah, really. But, I mean, following has been out since 1998. So... Yeah. <laughs> so you should really have seen it. If you haven't hopefully. seen it, do find it. Yeah. Um, but we won't, we, won't give away any, we won't give away the ending. Yeah. Um, we're not, so we're not... We're not cruel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Luke Skywalker's father is. And... I've got a whole list of those. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was say. That's just the podcast for the next hour. Right, so following. Came out in the late 90s, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, 98, 99. 98, 99 um, time. Shot for $6,000. $6,000. Yeah. Over, over I think a year. Interstellar was 7000 I can't quite remember. <laughs> Something around. Per second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm sure, I think it probably yeah. is that. I mean, for every for every moment McConaughey is on screen, that's yeah. another five thousand dollars. I um, I can certainly imagine six thousand dollar budget filmed over a year because they're going to need to do it at the weekends. They did they did it every Saturday for a year or something. Oh, I didn't know that. That's, that's a lovely job. That's a lovely fact. Didn't know yeah. that at all. I know that. Uh, they had to really do as many rehearsals as humanly possible yes. because it was all um, on 60mm film yeah. and and the price of that had to come out of Nolan's own salary know, I mean, yeah. for the film. How is, filmmaking has changed. How times have changed for Nolan. Is, that, that's just lovely. Looks back at follow. Yeah. <laughs> I hope the CGI came out of his, of his salary <laughs> of Interstellar. <laughs> but yeah, he, he owes them now. That's why yeah. Warner Bros. loves him because he owes them $10 million <laughs> release of Interstellar. Uh, They've in got Stella. him for life. They've got him. He can't leave Warner Bros. <laughs> but for the following, uh, so following, not the following. Yes, the following is the Kevin Bacon the Kevin show Bacon. On, on Sky or something. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the Kevin Bacon things that aren't the EE adverts at the moment. So, uh, yeah, so just following. What? How would you describe the plot, Dan? Following, I would describe as a young writer who a young wannabe writer. Well, yes, yeah, so someone who's uh, sorry, an unemployed man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who who, uh, who, who does a monthly podcast for uh, for a, <laughs> for a fledging online blog? <laughs> yes, it's quite autobiographical. Uh, I could relate. Um, following is about a yeah this this guy we don't really get his name he's given a couple of names in the film yeah not quite sure if they are indeed his real name yeah so I think he's just called he's the man credited in the, the young man in the yeah. Credit. Uh, so you've got the young man who, as a as an aspiring writer, follows people around London in a bid to get inspiration as to what to write about. Uh, this um, act of following people around leads him to uh, meet uh, a thief by the name of Cobb, yeah. interestingly enough. In another life, um, almost. Yes, he obviously likes that name. Yeah. And Cobb introduces him to the art of burglary. Mm. Uh, but then, as with these things, he gets a little—he gets in a little too deep, um, and well, hilarity doesn't ensue. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the, and then the story uh, unfolds from there. And I have to say that this is the first time in a long time where a, a plot twist has properly got me. Yeah, and I, I did not see. Coming, I completely and I agree was with that. Surprised completely with that. agree with that because there are lots of twists in following, mm. uh, and. 
the first one I was really pleased with myself for getting, but then another one comes out of nowhere like a lorry. Yes. Like hits you like a Absolutely. lorry. Absolutely. And, and for a film that is only an hour long. Yeah. Yeah. That's some impressive stuff. It, it really is. You know, it, it sort of, you're, you're dragged along with it. You're dragged along with this young man as he gets further and, dragged further and further into this uh, shady criminal underworld. Um, and, and, then, and then, bam, at the end, mm. you, you're hit with this. A very, very good twist. And, it's I mean, very sophisticated, yeah. If I'd been watching this in 1998, uh, as a seven-year-old, <laughs> if I'd been... You've always I, been very... <laughs> if, I'd been watching, if I'd watched this before seeing any other Nolan films, yeah. I would have said, well, this is very promising stuff. Yeah. Well, exactly. And it's funny because I've seen this film after having seen the Dark Knight trilogy, after having seen yeah. Inception. Even after seeing Interstellar, I watched this film for this podcast... And it's funny about how you can see uh, the uh, the acorn of Christopher Nolan that has grown now into yes. this oak. Like, it's very funny that everything that you see in this $160 million flick, everything you can see in the $6,000 flick, uh, $6, it, it, flick that was made. It's quite incredible. That yeah. There's so, I mean, it's just got Nolan all over it, it's as amazing. it naturally would imagine. But mm. You wouldn't think that back then. But yeah. You it's got, see. like, the fractured narrative that is know, going all over that. the time. I mean, it even shares, like, the black and white motif of, um, of like, what's used in Memento in, on occasion. Uh, there's the twists, there's the turns, there's the character... Like, uh, even the kind yeah. of characters that are used are... Fairly similar, you can see. Where yes, yeah. Mm. I mean, I like what you said there about the acorn. I think that's a good analogy there. That you you look at following, and you can pretty much see where Nolan was growing, where it all goes to, and and how it all begins to how the the puzzle of Nolan's film mm. career all begins to fit in together. And mm. um, I I don't know. I, I don't think our conversation will be too long on following. No, there's not a huge amount to discuss. There's a question that I would like to ask you, and it's going to be a controversial one, and. We could spend a whole podcast talking about this, but I kind of I'm aware that we're really kind of running close to where we should be delivering Bob. So let's try and keep this only to a couple of minutes. But do you think Christopher Nolan has peaked as a filmmaker, or do you feel like we we are heading towards his great masterpiece? Well, Interstellar was astounding, but I can't imagine he's a man to rest upon his laurels. laurels. I think he will challenge himself. Mm. As as if you look back through his back catalogue, he clearly has been doing. Yeah. To try exploring new ideas, new ways of telling things. Uh, and continue to try and be ahead of the pack when it comes to filmmaking. Yeah. And I'm very excited to see what come what comes next. Absolutely. So no, I, I like to think he's not at his peak. Mm. I suppose we'll find out in the next film. I, I like the fact that he didn't take such a huge hiatus after The Dark Knight Rises. Mm. I'm glad he kept in the game. And he does seem someone who will continue. He's not one of these people like Terence Malick, for example, uh, wait every decade or something like that to knock yeah. something out, which is nice. I'm worried about it because I do think that for a man so obsessed with time in his films, time always seems to be something that's involved in Christopher Nolan films to some degree. Time isn't kind to his movies, I don't think. There, there is only... Really, like, Inception, I think, we yes. spoke about before. That seems, for me, I, I don't think I've ever transformed my opinion so radically on a film. Like, having walked out the first time thinking it was a masterpiece and now looking back and not even really being able to give it beyond three stars uh, or three bob. The Dark Knight Rises, exactly the same. Uh, and Interstellar, although Interstellar is his fir- the first film that I haven't been w- mm. kind of thoroughly wowed at. So, yeah, it will be, as you said, it yes. will be, certainly be something... I say, although I say following is very good, and following has, has stood the test of time. Yeah. Um, I do prefer his earlier films much. Like, I think Memento is probably overall his masterpiece. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I, I'm still yet to be convinced that anything will supersede that. 
Okay, we'll see. Fair enough. So you thought he peaked back in the early noughties? Of I don't think he necessarily peaked. I think he peaked with The Dark Knight because that was his zeitgeist film. And I think that for, I don't think The Dark Knight will ever be truly challenged as a film. Um, yeah. I don't think we'll ever see a better Batman film than The Dark Knight, for example. And Batman Begins. I think Batman Begins is mugged by The Dark Knight um, because it had like the Heath Ledger effect. But that's something else we can discuss. I think we should get to Bob ratings, Dan, before we... Yes, although, to, to quickly say, obviously, Interstellar is out now. It came uh, out. It's out now at Cinemas. Uh, I've been told, you must see it in, in IMAX. That is the best way to see this film. Mm. So if you get a chance, if you've got a few extra pennies to spend, yeah. do that. Um, the following is on YouTube. It is on YouTube. I'm not sure what the legality of that is, but it is on there. So yeah, um, I mean... Who are we to exactly. question the it's, legality it's, it's, on, it's on YouTube. If not, you can pick it up for probably yes. pennies, it's, as Dan yeah. would say. It is. It's well worth a watch if you haven't seen it. Bob rating, Mr. Alton. First for Interstellar, I feel, seen as the bulk of the discussion. Interstellar, uh, without hesitation, I'm going to give four. Four, Bob. Definitely. For, I mean, and I, th- I hope that's reflected in what I've said. I think so, yeah. And I, and I think that I can understand that because when we walked out of the cinema, as much as we didn't discuss, you seemed more vibed by it like, than I mm. did. I have to um, stay with the rating I gave it for OneRoomWithAView.com, and that's three stars. I knew it! However, I knew that's what you must have done. I, 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 you, everyone's been so annoyed at you that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got such a amount of fun. I haven't even looked at it. I've been saying I'm not going to see what he's given it. I won't see what he's given it. And it was three. I've given it three three stars. And I hope that, as Dan said, that what I've told you in this discussion um, reflects my score for it. However, I do kind of want to put a a little caveat on that, is that I did not hate this film. I do not hate Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker. I'm hugely excited. We've got a funny way of showing (laughs) (laughs) The three stars jutting out of his backside now. No, I I do. And I'm hugely inspired by him as a filmmaker and what he does. However, you've... Things have to work on merit, and as much as I felt that there was this kind of beauty to no, uh, to Interstellar, your it... ass was just too numbed by it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but following, what about following? Following, I'd give four, absolutely, yeah. with a bullet. It it really had me from the outset, and I did think that one thing I should have said in our review is that some of the acting was a little shaky in the film, and you could kind of tell there was an amateurishness. To yes. It. It wasn't as polished, and obviously it's the first film. But it, it's not going to be. It's yeah, very it's, much worth six thousand. You can see, yeah, it you, you can budget. see it working on there. Uh, it, the, uh, some of the performances did kind of chuck me out a little bit, but mm. um, for the, for the most part, it's a. It, it, it's, course, although, of course, most of those actors appear in the various Batman films. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, the <laughs> doctor in, in it. it uh, sorry, the policeman in it is Christopher Nolan's uncle, isn't yes. it? Who sits on the board? Yes, yes he's Fredericks on the yeah. board. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we digress. But four stars with a bullet because it really did grab my brain and held on and it lived up to Nolan's intelligent cinema kind of uh, uh, trademark. So, yeah, Yeah. uh, it's not quite a masterpiece. It's not five stars that you would find for Memento and The Dark Knight, but it's great, and it it, it really is great for Nolan's origin story. I wholeheartedly agree. Four, Bob. There it goes, up on the shelf. Just rubbish, that jingle. That might well be the the worst one. Yeah, I am... I'm embarrassed about that jingle, but um, one thing I'm not embarrassed about is the film that I'm going to place up on our shelves. Would you like to remind listeners that and what... So the shelf is uh, that time of the show, that feature where you and I uh, pick, well, the best films... That we love. The films that we love. The films that if you and I were living together... Yeah, and I'm still waiting for that, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) Like like a woman who's been in a relationship for 12 years... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you won't put a ring on that finger. Oh, God, I hope this is all cut. To go back, this would be, <laughs> if yeah. we were living together, this would be the shelf of our DVD. This would be our DVD collection yeah. in the flat that we share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So far, we have put Jurassic Park up there. That was my first offering. Yes. And Godfather Part 2. Which was mine. Um, and then we left it for a bit, because you can't just start doing this every week. You can't. I mean, there would be no point. It's a shelf that's supposed to be the, in our opinion, the most gorgeous films ever yeah. made. The best films ever best made. Best films we've seen in the 24 years yeah. we've been on this earth. Exactly. In the nearly five decades of combined life that, that we haven't necessarily shared. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but uh, hopefully one day, but... Yeah, so we don't want to do this every mm. week. But this time, I wanted to place American Beauty up on it, which was a film I first watched uh, in my entire life for the first time when I was 18 years old. So it was probably the dying embers of 2008. It was just after Freshers Week in university. And very few times, as much as I love film and as much as I love cinema and try and go, uh, I try and watch as many films as I can and go to the cinema as often as I can, there are very few films that have had such a profound impact on me as American Beauty after watching it just the once. Mm. And it really did leave me with my jaw open and with my heart aching and my brain buzzing. Uh, and it was the first film in a long time that I'd watched it and gone, yeah, five bob. Haven't seen anything like it before. Won't see anything like it since. Now, as with many of these films that like come out, uh, there is a backlash to them. And I don't think any of them have been as venomous as, to, as with American Beauty. So like these films come out and I think American Beauty now is kind of known as something that everyone lavished a lot of attention on in 2000 or 1999 when it came out. It won Oscars, Best Picture, Best Director, Kevin Spacey won Best Actor. Uh, and now people are like, actually, I don't, I don't know if it was as good as people make it, made it out back then. But I'm here to say, Dan, it was. Okay? I watched it last weekend. First time <laughs> I've watched it in ages and ages. And I kind of watched it in the mindset of people kind of dissing it a bit yes. since its release. Yeah. Uh, and I was floored by it again. And for those of you who haven't seen it, it's kind of this, it's like a snapshot of typical suburban life. Like Lester Burnham and his family are exactly what you'd see in rows upon rows of houses in, the, in America and even the UK and everywhere in the world. And he's got his job that he's kind of hates but does for money because he has to. He's got, uh, his wife on the scab of it. She's this wife. She goes out. She's a real, um, a real estate agent. The daughter is a particularly disillusioned 16-year-old girl that could be in any high school in the world. <laughs> And then what American Beauty does, I found out that it's a rose that looks beautiful, but underneath starts to rot very quickly. And obviously that is a perfect... There you go, there's a metaphor. Perfect metaphor for American Beauty, that under this scab of society, there is this like kind of black blood that's ready to gush out. Uh, and actually you find out that Lester Burnham does hate his job, um, his wife hates him, <laughs> his daughter doesn't particularly <laughs> yes, like passionately. him. Yeah, uh, and, and everything is kind of rotting underneath and no one's really doing much about it until Lester goes to a cheerleading, uh, I don't really know what it is, it's like something to do with sports and his daughter is a cheerleader, he goes along and begins to become infatuated by her typical beautiful next door um, American b blonde bombshell uh, played by Mina Suvari. Yeah. And he begins to have these quite uncomfortable, um, very sexual feelings about her. He like gets reawakened by by his lust for her, which results in him creating his own gym routine and kind of uh, trying to act a bit down with the kids in a dad kind of way. And everything just about this film is wonderful. Uh, just not. Like, I love Kevin Spacey as an actor, and I, I could watch him read the phone book out. And he doesn't do that in American Beauty, fortunately. <laughs> but he, I don't think he's actually ever done that. No, as of yet. As of um, yet, but he may well listen to your request. I, 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 I'd be the first person on opening day to watch it. Kevin Spacey's The Phone Book. <laughs> it, it, it's one of those films that you can sit and watch, and there is some such wonderful moments. And I think that people will watch it because it 
I wouldn't call it a weepy. It is, it's a very intellectual film in its own way. But there are some such wonderful little beautiful moments of just tragedy. And one of my favourites being the moment where the, the, there's a guy next door. It gets mugged, this film, a lot because of its, of its parodies that people have created. So, like, you know, the rose petals and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. And um, the plastic bag that's flying around. And there's been so many sketches. And somehow, and I don't know how, it's never really been able to degrade the film in its entirety. And there's a really wonderful moment. I know people kind of talk about the plastic bag a lot, which I don't know how that didn't get a nod for Best Supporting Actor. It's in it so much. Robbed. Yeah, robbed. <laughs> robbed, so it was. But it, it was, uh, it's one of the moments where the, the, the uh, weirdo next door who becomes infatuated in his own way, in the same way that Kevin Spacey does, with the daughter, uh, Kevin Spacey's daughter. And you find out that he's actually this kind of Walter White-esque drug dealer next door who's funding all of these uh, uh, these technological advancements he's got in his room and Kevin Spacey sees it and he's like oh I remember when I was your age I flipped burgers every every day in the summer um, just to earn some money and the guy turns around and says oh that sucks and there's just this wonderful moment on Kevin Spacey's face when he's like do you know what that was the happiest time in my yeah. entire life and you realise like how quickly you can get old and how often one minute you're a student and you're partying every day and you've got nothing to worry about and then you're in this job and you've got responsibilities and then you have kids and then they grow into what you became and there's this cycle. And I think American Beauty is such a beautiful microcosm of that. I find it very interesting that you first watched American Beauty in your first year at uni. Yeah. Uh, as did I, incidentally. Enough. Oh, really? Well, um, and I think it's you... like one of those like capturing the right kind of things <laughs> that you, you catch it. And so now much. you've watched it again at the age of, well, approaching... I'm nearly 25. 25. Yeah. And it's interesting you make those comments about how... Yeah, the one minute you're a student, and next minute you've got a job. Yeah, you're you're recently engaged. Yes, and, indeed, um, I am. Yeah, are you perhaps? Do you feel you might be living vicariously through American Beauty, or is American Beauty helping you through I think, your quarter life crisis? See, I, I think American Beauty is helping me through my quarter life crisis, Dan. I think it is. It's a snapshot of the human condition, and and I, I can understand why people do throw tomatoes yes. at it now and kind of and it is maybe yeah. a little bit kitsch but in places I like the fact that you seemingly were able to relate to it very well when you watched it at the age of 18 and they equally can still relate yeah to and it. you can find different uh, things in it age 24 yeah and, 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 I, and I wanted to put it up on the shelf because I really am I am upset almost that it's one of those films that people look back now with scorn and I know that there are a bunch of us that are still like this is a five bob film this film is beautiful it is it is sub suburbia encapsulated and that tragedy and there, there are some parts of it I suppose that are a bit kind of you know awkward to watch now but I don't think it takes anything away from the film and it is one of my favorite films of all time and as yeah. I said that I have to, and I, I know that people kind of retrospectively look at things, and as we, you know, we're guilty of that, we've changed our minds about Inception, and I, I'm all for that, and continuing analysis and criticism of films, but I can't see that, because people um, back then made sketches and skits out of things, like how that degrades the original thought, like, it floored me when I first saw it, and watching it now, only, it, it leaves you with an ache. Although I would say all these sketches and skits, they've been doing that's happened for so long, and so many classic, born, yeah. so many classic films are subjected to that sort of parody, and I think it's a very, uh, it's like a very high form of flattery, of course, in yeah. many ways. Yeah, imitation um, is the purest form of flattery, as they say. You know, it's just cool. Do you, do you love the film I've, as well? I've you... only, I have only watched it at one time. Yeah, in my first year at uni, I would certainly encourage you to re-examine it. I'd like to, maybe I should wait for, until I'm twenty-four and <laughs> watch it again then. And yeah, survive. possibly. So, um, but you uh, you have encouraged me to want to watch it again. After I hope these, so. These five five years. As with all of these films, as with like I know we've uh, only put two, but Godfather Part Two and Jurassic Park, they're they're films that 
you shouldn't watch every week um, or every month, sometimes not even every year. Like, this is the first time I've watched American Beauty since I was probably about 20, I think. I watched it 18, 20, and I think now four years later. Yeah. And it's just little nuggets. You, you, you should never become too acquainted with these films because they're just too beautiful or too well made. And mm. I would never want to get into the point where I'm in like a routine with them. So yeah, if you haven't seen American Beauty before, uh, if you have seen it but haven't watched it soon, it's like a phone call to your mum. You should make it, you know. Do it. It's good. It's great. <laughs> That's nice. Some cold hard facts type things now. Who's, who's the director? Who's so the director, director Sam Mendes. So obviously people will know him now absolutely from making Skyfall, the biggest James Bond film of all time. Never heard of it. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Sam Mendes um, stars uh, uh, Kevin Spacey, Annette Benning, Thora Birch, yeah, Mina Suvari. Um, in fact, actually, whatever his name is, who was in Interstellar as the bearded... Um, oh, Wes Bentley. Wes Bentley, yeah, sorry. Yeah, he's uh, obviously the weirdo next door. Chris Cooper, he plays the next door neighbour, like kind of yes. uh, is he Vietnam or Korean War vet, something Which like that. Provi- who provides one of the film's yeah. more... Uh, were quite startling twists. He, well, he is um, the American Beauty in his own way, as, as yes, lots of the characters yeah. are. But you'll you'll have to watch that for more. It's a film that I don't want to spoil. No, uh, but that's a classic sort of uh, bait and switch exactly. sort of situation. You, I, I, you do not see that really coming. Makes for an astounding ending. Absolutely, best endings. Yeah, uh, and uh, written by the guy who brought us Six Feet Under and True Blood as well. So yeah, and I, I, it's one of those films that, it, like, even the Thomas Newman soundtrack, it kind of kicked off lots of different things. And I think maybe that's why people are harsher on it when they look back at it because it has kicked off so much a part of culture mm. that we know. But I still think it's original. I st- I think it lives up to its name. It is beauty. It is pure beauty in cinema. And I would encourage you to go and watch it. So we are into the last the last 15 minutes, the last uh, few yards of the show. Yep. As we've promised at the head of the show, we're going to talk about some of the big announcements that have come out in the past week. Yeah. Um, where, where to begin? I mean, the Hobbit trailer, the latest Hobbit trailer has come out for the, for the Battle of the Five Armies. For those of you who don't know, Dan is a huge Tolkien fan. Uh, a huge Middle Earth fan in general, and and I love Tolkien Just as well. A like massive I'm, nerd. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't call you that. You're a Tolkien fan. Um, see, we're reclaiming the words now, Dan. Yeah. But uh, I revenge of the nerds. I don't speak Elvish. I should point out. <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> but I I feel jaded by Middle Earth now because I love the Lord of the Rings films. Like who doesn't? If you love cinema, these are you know epic cornerstones of cinema now. But the Hobbit films, I I do feel I did really fall into the line of thought of are they being squeezed for money? You yes. feel slightly differently, do you not? Like you, I think you're warmer uh, to the hobby films than I am. Yes, to a degree. I, I, I still think some of the decisions and some of some parts of the films have not been. Uh, they, they haven't not lived up to the Lord of the Rings, the previous yeah. trilogy. Mm. Uh, but yes, I, I'm not as cynical as you when it mm. comes to this idea that they're just I'm trying prob- to. Sp- I am probably the only dry. the only person that I know who's seen the Hobbit films who does prefer the first one to the second one. I know the majority of people do think the Desolation of Smaug is a better film than. Um, What's the first one? Unexpected Journey, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Journey. And this one has changed from there and back again to the the, the Hobbit, the, the Battle Hobbit, of yes. the Five Armies. Yeah. Um, the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Directed all, by the Peter the, Jackson. Well, I think that is how he goes now. The artist formerly known as Peter Jackson. <laughs> uh, see, I actually tweeted the other day... Um, that I do feel like, as much as I don't feel the first two films are car crashes, and I don't, you know, there, mm. there, 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 are, there are certainly some wonderful parts to enjoy of them. They're just not The Lord of the Rings, which I do feel 
hamstrings them, unfortunately. But I did feel like before I'm just now seeing the, the Battle of the Five Armies out of pure obligation. However, Dan was kind enough to show me the, this yes, trailer this that's come trailer. out. It was released and, and there, the there is day. something to be excited about. It it does, dare we say, look I think I think I think this film will uh, perhaps, uh, hopefully... Uh, Change save, the of save the trilogy for you. Per, uh, yeah. uh, anyway, hopefully you. If I can, if I can just win you round, <laughs> <laughs> and Christopher Nolan didn't, so <laughs> <laughs> then I'll consider the, this final film a success. I, I think it. Will I am that. the sixth army, I should say, to uh, <laughs> to our listeners. Yes, uh, as I, I have not been blown away with with the past with the past few films. I really enjoyed them, obviously, because mm. I'm a huge fan, uh, and I think Peter Jackson is an incredible filmmaker uh, and I love the storytelling and as much as I know that people were kind of looking forward to like Guillermo de Toro's vision or just at least someone else who didn't do the Lord of the Rings and I do understand the fact that because they're compared to the Lord of the Rings it's always gonna they're always gonna be handicapped Mm. in their own way however I do like the unity and I do like the continuity of the fact that it is the old cast it is the old director and that they do form a whole it just feels it does feel kind of unabashedly capitalist that they've created three films out of one I don't know I mean yes now it seems that way I I think I think that in in a decade's time we'll be sitting down for you know lunch. weekend <laughs> or maybe lunch <laughs> you've got food on the mind I was going to say in a decade's time we'll be sitting down for a sort of marathon weekend yeah. of let's watch the three Hobbit films followed by let's watch the Lord, the Lord of, the of the Rings and you'll be able to watch all six of those films mm. and they will all. It all makes sense. It'll. It'll. You'll see why Jackson made the decisions he made with the Hobbit mm. um, to bring them more into line with the tone of the Lord. Of the Rings. Are you going to do that in run up to the um, to the Battle of the Five Armies? Are you going to watch? Make sure you watch the Lord of the Rings. Uh, no, no. I'll probably watch the, uh, their uh, an unexpected journey and the, the desolation, desolation of Smaug. But no, I don't think I need to watch the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Uh, take me a month <laughs> yeah, I I, I've left it, it will be late. like interstellar I've left won't it, it far too late <laughs> for every one film you'll lose seven years of your life if you're going to watch the extended editions yeah um, so yeah I'm very much looking forward to <laughs> I'll just be sending you videos <laughs> into London just that I was like <laughs> alright Dan just come um, back from school and I'm glad the trailer has it has pepped has me up, pepped you up it really it. has I must admit I have gone from pure indifference to actually quite excited for December Good. now I'm yeah. glad for that mm. uh, and hopefully we'll be talking about the Battle of Five Armies in a future podcast. I really do hope so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other news, Star, Star Wars has a title. Let's talk Star Wars, Dan, because I think it's... Some, I mean, we both love the Star Wars films, obviously. Yeah, uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what, what were they called again? Yeah, the Star Wars films? Like One of them is all right. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about the title? The title, The Force Awakens, yeah? Yeah. Because it's not Episode 7 anymore, is it? It's just Star Wars, The no, Force Awakens. Maybe Episode 7 will be added in at some point. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I think... God knows why, the for- God knows why it's taken 30 years for The Force to awaken, even though it seemingly Luke had it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> at the, the end, end of Return of the Jedi. I mean, the Jedi returned. Mm. Surely that was when The Force awakened. Mm. But I, 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 I don't want to quibble. Did you uh, want to send this to J.J. Abrams? I mean, if you're then? listening, J.J., <laughs> come on. sort it out. I think they've uh, dropped the Episode 7 thing because, obviously... Disney are now not only committed to the next trilogy, but all of these various spin-off films that are happening, like the Han Solo yes, Origins yeah. film or something. And uh, are they doing like a Yoda one? Yoda Boba gets Fett, one, Boba Fett gets yeah. one. Uh, you know, I, so obviously they're kind of, I suppose... Hopefully Chewbacca will get one. I, I hope so. An hour and a half. Of... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Soundtrack by Skrillex. A, a remake of the Christmas the holiday special. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. So I think that they're trying to bring it in more line with like a Marvel Cinematic Universe thing. So it's now Star Wars The Force Awakens. I think it's an okayish title. I think people it, are going to keep calling it Episode Seven. Exactly. Of course they are. But I am. Anything still, else would seem cumbersome. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. I am excited about it, and I know that it's. It, hopefully, it will be a film that you and I do get to discuss. I think it's in good I, hands. I, I, I'll admit I cannot get that excited about titles. Mm. Um, I think I, I stopped being excited about them after The Dark Knight Rises, to be honest with you. Like, I was really looking, not to, like, you know, bring uh, Christopher Nolan back into discussions, but I think that everyone was waiting for that to come out. And when it did come out, everyone was a bit like, oh. <laughs> so, but, you know, it, it's just one of those I'll, films. I'm, I'll get excited when they release the synopsis. I, I'll be, yeah. And I, and to be honest, with you, I was going to even say when the first trailer comes out and you first hear right. the this, uh, John Williams track yes. play again. Well, that's, that's too, obviously. At that, that point, I'll be on states of apoplectic with, yeah. <laughs> you know, hitherto not seen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're you're right. I think that particularly now with the advent of the internet, people throw up all these different things. Just like when Ben Affleck got announced as Batman, it's like, just wait for the film. As much as it was nice that we've now got the uh, title, we've got nothing else apart and, from the well, cast and the title. Yeah. So, you know, let's not... Hold your let, horses. Let us, let us keep things in perspective. Mm. Speaking of which, next news item. Are you going to be talking Marvel, Dan? Is this what you're going with? No, I was going to go with lunch. No, yeah, <laughs> Mar- of course, Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Marvel Cinematic Universe, which, come on, dropped the have, mic have, in the Marvel event. Have announced seemingly the slate up until long after our deaths. It's kind of <laughs> 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 yeah, our children's children will be podcasting they've, yeah, about They've announced know. the films that, yeah, our great-grandchildren will be watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't think I will live to see the Infinity War. I must admit, I, in a time where people I think are begun, beginning sorry, to get fatigued by the, the superhero genre, and we are kind of, I think we probably are at saturation point even now. I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again. We, we have reached peak superhero. We, there is, we have got to that saturation. But I will say when the Marvel event happened, it has really injected me with like a needle full again of adrenaline for it. And to know that we're heading somewhere huge with the Infinity Wars where everything seemingly is built up like from the Avengers, even really before the first Avengers onwards. And I'm, I am really excited because I think it is beginning to copy this quality television model television seems to be now kind of destroying you know things like breaking bad and soprano seems to be overtaking cinema which i don't think anyone could have anticipated a few years ago yeah. and i quite like the idea that it's all feeding in they're bringing in new models there there's a clear trajectory we've got civil war coming with captain america the infinity war where seemingly every marvel character that marvel still own mm. are gonna be attacking that'll take a, w- a week to watch yeah exactly yeah which is gonna be part one and part two <laughs> with and a it... cast of nineteen thousand. <laughs> exactly yeah the ben hur <laughs> of the superhero Literally, genre most of part one of infinity war will presumably be a roll call of <laughs> just a register at the beginning <laughs> who's iron here man. iron man yes, yes uh, yeah. yeah just nick fury at the front yeah <laughs> i can see you captain america it did kind of cock its leg over DC and just urinate on the Justice League announcement, which seemingly was done via email, <laughs> <laughs> which was just lovely, a lovely touch. Time will tell, Dan. I mean, I am excited for it. I am more excited to see really where it's going to go after Infinity War Part 2 in two, May 2019. Don't worry, we'll be dead. There's yeah, no need we will to be worry. gone. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I only hope that I can live through it in some genetic way. <laughs> what else Dan there's one final piece of news have we not got it's the Toy Story 4 announcement yeah we are talking about I am gutted 
that it's been announced. Don't to be know perfectly what honest. to say. I, I, I'm upset. I really am upset. Toy Story three is definitely one of. My, it, I mean, it's going to be one of the films it's, that ends up on the shelf at some point. There are ne- that's a near perfect trilogy. Mm. I think it is perfect. I, I wouldn't even say near. I, it is, Old. <laughs> yeah, well, I, it is my favorite trilogy of all time. Toy okay. Story uh, one and two are the only films I've ever watched that have made me bore, like really bore. Uh, when watching them really? um, yeah they're the only two films that I've genuinely been so 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 physically moved by that I've, I've begun to one and two or you... two and three sorry, right, I did I say one, you said two. one and two sorry, that's, two what, and three. that's what threw me there yeah right? sorry two and three but two and three right? yeah, yeah that was a mistake yeah but two and three had me bawling mm. the first time my girlfriend ever saw me cry uh, Toy Story 2 watching the Jesse sequence oh, god gutting but I don't really know where they're going to go with Toy Story 4 because it I feel like by nature it has to kick off another trilogy of some sort with Bonnie. Well, presumably. I don't. I don't. I, I, I don't know. It also. It seems like a terrible, terrible mistake. Mm. I'm still waiting for them to sort of say, "I gotcha." Uh, this is all a joke, or maybe yeah. you know, it's not. There's been a mix-up, and actually they're just announcing a few more of the shorts, which are actually going very well. I, think. I like. I, I like this sort of. Continuation. We've got another one coming up, haven't we? Very shortly. Yes, the Toy Story. Toy Story that time forgot. I'm liking those. I, like I think them, they yeah. work very well as a continuation of these characters that we all know and love. And they're only kind of like half an hour long or 20 mm. minutes long, which means that we get to still see them, but it doesn't in any way destroy the canon that we had set up in, yeah. in my opinion, the perfect trilogy. But there is no... I don't know. It just feels like... What will they... Do they just... Are they going to have... Will, so will Bonnie be the... Will it be with Bonnie? And, and it just, it just, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what they would... It just Would destroys you? that trajectory of childhood. Like, Toy Story is not only three wonderful films, but we saw Andy in various stages of his life, like Boyhood, uh, like Lignolator's Boyhood. We, we, we um, follow Andy over these different periods of life. And when he goes to college, that was the natural end. And although the Toy Story, uh, the Toy Story characters didn't die, they just went and found a new child. To kind of follow Bonnie through the same journey... Um, is either going to feel diluted or they're going to go, uh, or it destroys the canon of the original trilogy because it's just like, oh, they're just in another wacky adventure, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I can't it, get on board with it at the moment. It raises, it, raises very, it raises even more questions about what on earth is going on at Pixar. Well, I mean, seemingly the most creative force in the universe is now reduced to just bringing out sequels from their older films, apart from yeah. this new one that's been announced. Which, uh, they should take some advice from Cooper in Interstellar and look to the stars again. So, housekeeping, Dan, we never really did have a jingle for that, did we? No, well, well, why would we? I mean... Exactly. Uh, we're sick to death of the other <laughs> one, so why bring more misery into the mix? <laughs> so, this is the time in the show, as always, where we just kind of straighten everything up that we've decimated in the previous hour and look to the future, really, what we're going to yes. be doing, what our parent blog is doing, etc. There's a lot going on, Dan, as always, over at One Room with Always. It's always non-stop. Yeah, there's been really huge uh, changes, re- really, since the last time we spoke, which, of course, was the summer specials yes. that we did. There's been a bloodless coup in which Chris and I have taken out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the head of our editor adorns a spike outside. I said bloodless, bloodless. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, Dave actually is just a website now. He's, he's kind of... <laughs> Yes, there's been many changes. Dave has linked himself up to Dave, the web. Dave has achieved um, transcendence, <laughs> something Johnny Depp never quite managed. But yeah, that man and, and his salary is really being poured quite physically into the website. So please do check it out. It's wonderful. It looks so beautiful now. Yes, there's been some wonderful changes. It's yeah. A, a wonderful sort of, uh, yes, it's been redecorated. There's some really lovely cosmetic changes and the man just keeps providing new information and I really think what I love about it and I know that we're kind of not we're not contractually obliged but what I do like about it is that it does offer 
uh, criticism that isn't snotty. So if you're looking for something that's just really passionate about film, please do check out yeah. One Room. If you're looking for, if you're looking for <laughs> very average reviews of Interstellar, <laughs> well, they just had that for the last half an hour, so I won't worry too much. <laughs> um, yeah, but if you like your reviews short and your snappy. features and your features incredibly fascinating. Check out One Room with a View. You can follow them at One Room with a View uh, on Twitter. That's the numerical one. Uh, you're at Mr. Alton, M-I-S-T-E-R, Alton. Um, I'm at the press tonight, so you can follow us. Fa- uh, Facebook is kind of exploding at the moment, the page uh, for yep, One Room. Just search for One Room Review and click like. Yes, please do. Uh, press subscribe to us. This is the second season now. We've, we've kind of changed tack slightly. Instead of fortnightly, we're now moving to a monthly podcast. Yes. And... There is an overhang that we've decided to pick back up from the first season, Dan, haven't we? You thought myself and our army of listeners had conveniently forgotten. However, no, I am the thorn in Dan's side and we are bringing back Challenge Dan. Now, Dan, in just the dying embers of the podcast, what was your challenge set in the first season? Uh, That was to watch the three original Pokemon films Mm. um, as revenge from my father, (laughs) who I made sit through. The three original Pokemon films. Yes, and you've gone a third through, haven't you? You've done. We did the first one. That's in a. That's that was about three podcasts back. Yep. My review of the first Pokemon film. Yeah. If we can call it 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 that. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, and and next month, so for December's podcast, I'll be bringing you Pokemon Two Thousand, which I never even saw. I don't think I carried on with the series with that. But I am looking forward to your review. So that's coming. We'll be back in December. So all that's left is to say cheerio. You're listening to the One Room with a View show with Christopher Preston and Dan Orton.